0: guest speaker for today, this is uh, Dustin Leimgruber, and I I, <laughs> I told myself I wasn't going to do this, and I, I, I read your name, and I immediately inserted a German accent into it, and so I, I kind of created a mental block where for a long time I couldn't say anything but Leimgruber, and <laughs> I was really worried that I was going to do it, and then I just did it anyways, and so <laughs> I nailed it. But then I ruined it. So, uh, guys, give yourself, or give, uh, Dustin a, a round of applause and just thank him for, for coming and joining us this morning.
1: Well, with an intro like that, I am obligated to say, read the Bible if you want to live. <laughs> so thank you for that. Uh, we are all more in danger of doing something stupid than we are willing to admit. (laughs) A long time ago, I was mentoring a young man who was in middle school, and we had a routine. Every single week, we would go to a place and get a pizza. We had the same standing order. They put it in without me even needing to call, and we would go pick up that pizza, and then we'd go play around for a while. And one day, when we got there, I saw that the pizza was just coming out of the oven. And this was an impulsive young man. This is one of the things that we were working on together. And so I looked at him and I said, now I know that you are hungry, but I want you to look at that pizza in the oven right now and see the cheese bubbling on the pizza. You will be tempted when the pizza comes out to just grab it right out of the box and cram it in your mouth. Do not eat the pizza right off the bat. Okay, okay, I won't. So they put the pizza in the box and they put it up there on the counter and I looked at him and said, I'm about to pay for this pizza. When I'm paying for the pizza, do not open the box. And cram the pizza in your mouth. We will take it with us. We will let it cool for just a couple of minutes. And then you may eat the pizza. Do not eat the pizza. Anybody want to guess what happens? <laughs> what do you think happens? He eats the pizza. I'm paying for it. He whips open the box, grabs the pizza, crams it in his mouth, screams out in pain and drops it and it hits him on the bare arm. So he gets burned twice. Even when we are sufficiently warned, and you would think we would have enough information, we are more in danger of doing something stupid than we are willing to admit. I knew somebody else, uh, not a middle school boy this time, but a grown man who had a vehicle stuck out in his yard. And he really needed to get this vehicle out in a hurry, but it was a big vehicle, and the only thing that he had left to pull it out with was a teeny tiny little thing, something about the size of a Volkswagen bug. And for some reason, they put just a little metal hoop on the back of that so that you could tow something out with this car that looks like Fred Flintstone would drive. And so he's looking around for something, and he doesn't have a chain, he doesn't have any big, thick ropes. But he does have some used over a line that he used to, hang his, used to hang up his clothes. So he gets this bright idea. You think any big rope is just made up of smaller ropes. You twine those together, and then you get something nice that you can tow it out with. And so he takes it and he folds it around several times and he ties it to the back of the little car and he goes to pull out the van. And you know what happened? It snapped like that. And it left just a little bit of line on the back of his car and he left it there to remind himself that he could do something that was more stupid than he was willing to admit. A quick show of hands here, which one of those two was more foolish? If you think it was the middle school boy, raise your hand. If you think it was the grown man, raise your hand. I'm highly offended because I'm the grown man. (laughs) I want you guys to take that back. We are all more at risk of doing something stupid than we are willing to admit to ourselves. But we also have a God that we can go to in those moments of temptation when we are about to do something that is foolish, maybe even something that's foolish enough to get us killed, to go to him in that temptation and to have him pull us out of it. And that's what we'll be learning about today in the scriptures. If you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians, where we're going to be hearing about how even when we are foolish and tempted, God always provides a way out. We'll be looking at the book of 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, and we'll be doing these first 13 verses. So please listen along with me as I read to you from God's word, 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, Verses 1 through 13. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And do you have a tradition here when the scripture's done being read? no tradition I'm going to give you one it'll last for today all right I'm going to say this is the word of the lord and you're going to say thanks be to god because this is what keeps us from doing those foolish things okay this is the word of the lord be to god. There you go thank you All right so in this first section these first 5 verses if you want to keep your bible open we can see that Israel failed despite all of the benefits Now I don't know if you've ever thought this before I've heard people say it I said, boy, I really wish that I could have lived back in the Bible days. You know, get in my time machine and go back there and see all those amazing things. Because if I saw the kinds of stuff that those people saw, you know, I would never have any kind of doubt whatsoever. I would always follow after God. I'd always know that he was real, and I would do the right thing every single time. And so if we're tempted to think that, we're going to get in our time machine and just go back and think about what happens in the book of Exodus, You look at the book of Exodus, and there's a group of people, a whole nation, and they see all 10 of the plagues. They see God exerting his power over everything that the Egyptians said was true, and it turns out that that God is so strong that he can deliver them out of there. And if that wasn't enough, we have a whole list of things that we're reminded of in here. So this is a group of people that says they all were under the cloud. So it's talking about the cloud, we're thinking about the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that all of the Israelites followed throughout the desert. So every single morning when they woke up, they saw the physical presence of God either in a giant pillar of fire or in a giant pillar of cloud, depending on the time of day. And so if you were an Israelite and you woke up and somebody standing next to you said, you know, I'm starting to have my doubts about this God. Is he real? You know what you'd do? I don't know, how about the giant pillar of fire right over there? Do you think the God might be real? Okay, that's right, that giant pillar of fire. And later, that giant pillar of cloud. So they've got that all of the time. It also says they all pass through the sea. Think for a moment what it would be like to pass through the waters of the Red Sea together as a nation. That every single person in your entire country had that same experience. And when you started to doubt, to say, is God strong enough to do this? Like it's, I don't know, do you remember that time that we walked through the waters of the Red Sea and there were a million of us and we looked over there and there was a water and we looked over there and there was another wall full of water and we all came out safe. And then we watched the Egyptians come after us and try to kill us and the waters came crashing back. Oh yeah, I do remember that. That happened. The whole nation had that. And if that wasn't enough, we see that it says that in those two things, they were baptized into Moses. These were people that had Moses as their leader. So when they had to go and accept the Ten Commandments from God, all of the people together were terrified to go do it themselves. They saw God's presence up on a mountain, and they heard the big, booming sound of God sending down lightning bolts. And they saw the smoke coming off of the mountain. And they were instructed to stand so far back from it that they didn't even get to the foot of the mountain. And Moses went up the mountain, and he received those things from God. And he came back literally glowing that he had to put a veil over his face because people were even frightened to be in his presence just with the residual glory that had come from God. And this was their leader. Whenever they wanted to get close to God, they said, Moses, you go and do it, and we'll listen to you all the time. And so they had the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. They went through the waters together. They had Moses as their leader. And if that wasn't enough for them, it says they all ate the same spiritual food. And when you wake up in the morning, maybe some people here have a routine about what you eat every morning for breakfast. You know what the Israelites had every single morning for breakfast for about 40 years? That manna. You want to take that over into the Hebrew? We get the word maze from it. Any Hebrew scholars in here? Anybody know what maze means in the Hebrew? means, what is it? They looked there in the morning, they saw this little fine flaky stuff on the ground, and they said, what is it? And they never came up with a better name for it for 40 years. If you doubted the provision of God, you just had to wake up in the morning and go, look, it's breakfast again. And God told them, you know, I'm going to give you enough every day. I'm going to give you daily bread. So don't collect too much, because if you do, I'll just make it rot the next day. Don't worry, it'll be there. Except, of course, the day before the Sabbath. Uh, then you should gather two times as much as you normally would. And on that day, it won't rot. Now, if you think about the laws of nature and the laws of physics and those sorts of things, what does the day of the week have to do with any of them? Somebody anybody ever consider gravity and think, well, I don't know, today's a Wednesday, so if I drop this book, it'll fall. If something happens differently on a different way of the week, day of the week, and God told you that it would, it's another pretty good proof that God is in control. He is the one giving you your everything. They ate this spiritual food. If that wasn't enough, they drank spiritual drink. As they were going there through the desert, there was a time when they didn't have anything to drink, and God told them that Moses would go over there and he would strike the rock. And we find out later that this rock is Christ. And water comes out of a rock for the people to drink. Every single day, they saw God. They had his provision. They had other people around them to remind them Every benefit that you could possibly have, they had. And how many of the Israelites made it into the promised land? A handful. Not even Moses makes it into the promised land. And this is a reminder to us that you can have every single benefit that you could possibly imagine and still not follow after God. God gives us these things to remind us of exactly how foolish humanity can be, that this is our normal state of affairs. We can be surrounded by the goodness of God and still not follow after him because God overthrew them in the wilderness. And so the second section here, starting in verse 6, we're looking at verses 6 through 12 if you still have your Bible open, we see that these are examples that are written down so that we can learn to do things the easy way. If you've heard an example before, and then you go and you break that example, that makes you foolish. I'd like to give everybody here permission that if you've got a family member that you're ever sitting down to dinner with them, and they burn their mouth on pizza, please make fun of them relentlessly, and say, do you remember that time we were in church, and the preacher just went on and on and on about this kid burning himself on pizza? You just did that exact same thing. If we have an example, we should learn from it. Uh, As an example... I have all 10 fingers, right? The reason I'm very careful to keep all 10 of my fingers is that my father has nine and a half fingers. (laughs) Do you think I heard about that growing up? Uh, He was moving some concrete and he dropped the concrete and he lost half of a finger. And so every single time I did anything that came even remotely close to something you could lose a finger over it, I heard it. Uh, Just this last week, I was moving concrete blocks around. I heard the voice of my father in my head saying, do not smash your finger like I did. And so I was very careful moving those cinder blocks. Maybe you've got something too. Maybe a parent did something that they wish they hadn't done when they were a kid or someone close to you gave you some kind of warning and you saw that they went through it the hard way. And they learned the hard way, so they want you to learn the easy way. Well, here in the Bible, they learned the hard way. And so if we can read about this... And change without having to do that thing, then we get to learn the easy way. And the thing that we should learn is this this comes in verse six. We should not desire evil. Verse six says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And so the issue is not just don't do the wrong thing, what we're told is don't even want the wrong thing. Their problem was their desire. If we don't deal with our level of desire, then we're just doing behavioral control and saying, I'm allowed to want this thing, but I'm just not allowed to do it. It's kind of like a a disobedient dog. Maybe some of you have dogs that like to jump up on the furniture. And if you're in the room, they see that you're there and they won't do it. But if you come from out of the room, you might see the dog that's up there on the furniture and they'll jump down and they'll look real guilty and they'll say, oh, I know I shouldn't have done that. But their heart hasn't changed. If your heart doesn't change, if your desires don't change, then you've missed the mark. This is given to us so that we do not desire evil. And we get two examples here of the kind of evil that they desired. And because they're people and we're people, these are enduring desires. The two things that they're uh, cited for here are idolatry and sexual immorality. Now, this first one, idolatry, You may think that you're out of the woods on because typically we don't do idolatry the same way that they did idolatry. When I think about idolatry, I first think about little statues that people would make. You know, they carve it out of wood or if they're wealthy, they dip it in gold so it looks nicer and they bow down to that thing and they say, you are my God, please give me whatever this is. This is what the Israelites did. When they had escaped from Egypt, God let them take all of the gold jewelry of the Egyptians and he gave it to them to decorate them. And I'm sure that they looked amazing coming out of there with all of the gold that they were wearing. But Moses goes up on the mountain later to receive the Ten Commandments, and the people get bored. And they say, You know what? Uh, what do you say that we take all this gold that we just got from God, and we melt it all down, and we make a golden calf out of it? And then we'll say that this was our God that just got us out of Egypt. And they do, they make this thing, and they say, This is God. This is the one who has created us. This is the one who has rescued us out of Egypt. And so the essence of idolatry is taking anything at all that isn't God, usually his creation, like that gift of jewelry that the people had been given, and making it like God. It's anything that God has given us, which is everything, and making it ultimate. And if you don't think that you struggle with idolatry, I'm willing to bet that every single one of us does. Because think about the things in your life that if God asked you to give up, you would have an extreme hesitation about. If you ever read the the story about uh, the binding of Isaac and about to be sacrificed on that idol and you start to think about what would I do if God called me to do that with my kid? If you think about, well, what if God called me to give up this possession or what if we had to change this thing or whatever else it is? And you think, no, this is ultimate. This is what brings me happiness. This is what brings me security. This is how I eat every day. Whatever it is, we struggle with idolatry. And so we're warned here not to struggle like they did and not to desire that. And the other thing that they're warned about is sexual immorality. And we see that whatever they were doing was so bad that God killed tens of thousands of people in a single day to let them know how serious this was. When we think about sins, we may think, you know, I ought not to do that. Or maybe this is kind of a silly thing, you know, a story where, oh, yeah, it's the time I burned my mouth or the time that I tried to pull out a van with my car. But sins, as the Bible teaches us, have brought death into the world. We're living in a broken world because of sin, and if we don't kill sin, it will kill us. And so this is something that we need to actively seek out and to actively kill. And when we look at sexual immorality today, we can see how bad it's getting and how quickly it's getting. Think about things that you hadn't even heard of 10 years ago, or if you had heard about them, they were just these little fringe things where you thought, yeah, something really had to go wrong with that person, that that's what they're struggling with, that today are celebrated, are encouraged, and oftentimes even protected by the law. I can get deep into those things, but I want to make sure that when we look at any kind of sin, that sin in particular, that we're not quick to point to those other people over there that struggle with something that I wouldn't struggle with, We look to ourselves that this is a warning for us first before we go out and warn others. And when I think about that, I think about an experience that I had with somebody. I've been in churches for a long time, and I was talking to somebody else who was pretty involved with the church. And he was telling me about this stupid text conversation he had with somebody. And it was one of those church color of the carpet sorts of things. You know, If you've been in churches for any amount of time, particularly if you've done leadership, you know that people can bicker about just some really little ridiculous things that have no bearing on the kingdom of God whatsoever, and they just get really invested in them. And so he's telling me about this whole thing that's going on, and I'm just kind of you know, nodding my head, yeah, yeah, that's, that's awfully silly. Sorry, you have to put up with that. And then later, I found out that that same day, he had been having a text conversation with a woman who was not his wife. It was the beginning of an affair. And as I was talking to him, I was just thinking in my mind, you had two text conversations that day. Which one did you choose to talk to me about? You know, we, we could have nipped that thing at the very beginning and put a stop to it. But you chose to talk to me about this one and not the other one. And I just started thinking about how foolish that was and thinking about how I would never do that. And I stopped to pray with him. And as I prayed, I looked down and he and I were wearing the exact same shoes. This felt like that was God telling me, you could be in the same shoes in a hurry if you were that prideful. To think that there's anything that you would say, oh, no, 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 I never would do something like that. You know, I would always do this right thing. And He was reminding me to look back at this to say, you need to make sure that you are heeding this warning. If you think that you would never fall, that is a perfect opportunity for sin to grab a hold of you in that area where you have a blind spot. And that's what this points us to. They struggled with it. We struggle with it. And so to look at these things and say, I will not just let this sleep. I will remember that I am a fallible human being and that we all struggle with sin and that I could fall to this. And the section continues on with different ways that people sinned. Uh, they sin with grumbling. Uh, grumbling is a sin that is something that can be very destructive, even though we don't think of it as a big deal. We see that God was so serious about these sorts of things that he sent serpents to go and bite them and people died over it. We see that he sent the destroyer to go and kill these people. These were foolish things that caused death in the camp. And these are all reminders for us that we should not test Christ. We should remember all these things so that we remember these stories and we don't burn ourselves on the hot pizza. We should look at that little bit of clothesline in the back of our car and remember, yes, I was foolish, and I could be even more foolish than that. I should take these things seriously. So all these things are reminders for us, and if that's where it left off and the message was just, we need to have better memories and try harder, we would all be doomed because this is at the level of desire. You can never change something that you don't really want to change. The first step is admitting that you have a problem. The first step is actually wanting to change something. And so as we look at all this, we see that we need to have a desire to not sin, but instead to follow after God. And he gives us something to encourage us in this and to lift us out of it. And the first thing that we're told is that these temptations that we have are common to man. There is no temptation that you or I have that somebody else hasn't been tempted with before. There's nothing new under the sun. If you struggle with it, somebody before you has struggled with it because we're all people. That's our nature. And God has helped those people with it before. Jesus struggled with everything humanity struggled with, and God brought him through perfectly, never gave into a single one of those temptations. And that's our encouragement here because at the very end it says, And I'll read this this whole verse 13 here. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do you ever feel like there's some temptation in your life that there's just no way out of, that you just have to do that thing? It is too tempting. And when you get to the end of it, you just say, well, what was, what was I supposed to do? It was right there. But God lets us know that every single time there's a temptation, without fail, there is some way out. Now, I heard a Christian comedian talking about going to a church, and he was talking about snake-handling churches. And I got into this church, found out that there was some snake-handling going on, and the very first thing that he looked for was the door. <laughs> And he said, if I couldn't find a door, I would make a door. Because he would run straight through that wall and get out of that place. Well, if you're starting to get into a place where you see that temptation, look for that door. If you can't find a door, make a door. Because that thing will slither up and bite you. It is deadly serious. But God will provide a way out. So let's look at this and remember that we are more in danger of dying from something stupid that we would do than we're willing to admit. But God will always provide a way out in the midst of that temptation. Let's pray and ask him to help us to look for those things and when they sneak up on us to run away from them with his help. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the scripture. I thank you that you give us the example of the Israelites and all of the benefits that you gave to them and to see how they fell, so that we may not get cocky and prideful and think that we will be just fine because of anything we possess. I ask that you would help us to be humble and to be willing to admit that we are tempted by things. I ask that when those things sneak up on us, that we would immediately look for the way out that you provide. I ask that you would help us to look for that door to escape and that we would be able to escape that temptation We thank you that you have given us examples of people who have been tempted by the same thing in the past and that you have delivered them from it. We thank you that you gave us Jesus, the only one who successfully escaped temptation every single time. We thank you for his perfection that wins our salvation. We ask that you would guide us as your people as temptations come to be able to seek you, to be able to remember the Lord's prayer, that we would pray in those moments of temptation, that you would not d- deliver us to the, <clears throat> that you would deliver us from temptation and not let us fall victim to the evil one. And I pray all that in Jesus' name, Amen.